Father, we do thank you for your grace that is renewed every morning for us, that your mercies are fresh with the dew, the psalmist says, and we need it. Um, we're thankful for Christ, the glory that, that he shines um, as our risen King, our risen Savior. We thank you that in him all things are fulfilled, are yes and amen. We thank you that there is healing in his wings. We thank you that you are working by your spirit among us to draw us in, to display for us the beauties of Jesus, to call us to look more and more like him day by day. God, we we do lift up the, the various hurts that are in our church. We pray for the Hearns. We pray for Haley and Seth and their family. Pray for the Suches, their recent loss. There are, um, there are several families that have been affected recently, and we just lift them up and pray that your grace and your comfort would be evident among them. Would you give us wisdom and how to be the hands and feet that ministers to them in a way that brings honor to Christ and comfort to hearts? God, as we approach our passage this morning, thank you for giving us heroes. Thank you for recording for us the work of your spirit and great men before us. Would you draw us in this morning that we would be encouraged and challenged to be bold in our proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done and the command for all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel and that it's worth any price. Be with us in our discussion. Help it be fruitful. Help it to be um, encouraging and edifying. Help it to be glorifying most of all to you and make much of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. We are in Acts 16. Hello. 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 <laughs> Suddenly our, our classes become a musical. Um, Acts 16, <laughs> starting at verse 25. Last time we discussed uh, the, uh, the second narrative of uh, Paul and Silas in Philippi uh, that dealt with the servant girl who was possessed, who was going around town taunting them proclaiming these men are servants of the Most High, they know the way of salvation, how muddying of the waters that was for Paul. He wasn't very happy about that. He delivers her from the demon. And uh, what happens? That was the, the city erupts in joy. They're all excited. What happens? Do you remember? By way of review. They get beaten with rods. They got beaten with rods, right? A mob develops the guys who own the girl realize we just lost a ton of money because she can't do the the fortune telling thing anymore um, and so they stir up the city they stir up the leaders to to imprison them to beat them with rods and when we when we left off last time Paul and Silas were in the inmost prison 
the, the really dank hole, and their feet are in stocks. We talked about what that looked like. So they're, 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 the idea is basically their arms are chained to the wall and their feet are in stocks. Um, what would you be thinking at this point? Defeat. Def defeat? No. Defeated. Defeated, okay. Why? Because you're in a dark hole chained to a wall, that's why. I mean, wouldn't that be the natural inclination? We were just, we helped the girl. We brought the gospel to the city. God, what are you doing? Wouldn't that be the natural thing? What is that? Human thinking. Human thinking. Is that contentment? Is it thankfulness? That's complaining, isn't it? Isn't that the natural thing we would do? We'd start griping. God, where are you in this? We're sitting there doing your work. You owe me. Right? So they are physically assaulted. This is one of the two times, by the way, that Acts records them being physically assaulted by Gentiles. The other would be in Ephesus. And both times involve money. The silversmiths in Ephesus are mad because people stop buying their idols. And here, these guys are mad because their girl doesn't work for them anymore. Um, so, here we are. We're picking up again this week with Paul and Silas in the inner prison. And look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly... There was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now just stop there for a second. Describe the scene here. Let's walk in their sandals a little bit. Describe the scene. How were they beaten? Do we talk about that? With rods. With rods. And we talked about... The Jewish idea, whenever someone was beaten, they had to do it, they couldn't go more than 40. And so the, the law in, in, under the Jewish system was they beat them 39. They only had 39 strokes so that in case they lost count, they wouldn't break the law by going over 40, which is, I mean, that's a kind and compassionate thing to do. If you're going to beat somebody with a rod, that's the way to do it. The Gentiles had no such restraints. They beat them till their arms get tired, right? That's a while, especially if you're used to doing it, which these guys apparently were. Um, the jailer puts them in the hole, puts them in stocks, and he's following the tone of the magistrates who are very upset with these guys for causing chaos in the city. They're being held over in prison. Why? Why not beat them and let them go? Why are they holding them over in prison? What's the intent here? What do you think? Keep, keep them from further spreading the gospel. And, to know, keep them from further spreading the gospel, in their view, would be further causing chaos, yeah. right? Because it's their fault. <laughs> right? What better way to make someone submit to you? Yeah, you deprive somebody of comfort and food, they, their will breaks. That's what we do with our kids. Well, that's, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, like, you're training them, there's negative effects to what they're doing. Right, right. And eventually they stop. Yes. That, yes. <laughs> Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. 
The rod of correction drives it out, but, but it's not 39 and it's not unlimited. But yes, I understand what you're saying. Affliction is good for the soul. There's all kinds of ways to handle that, I guess. Um, so they're in this prison. They're in this dark hole. And what are they doing? The, the, incidentally, they may be facing the death penalty here, too. I mean, some, some commentators think that that's why they're being held over. They're praying and singing. They're worshiping. What in the world? What are they... What? I don't know where they hit them. I don't know if it was around the mouth, around the head. Imagine trying to sing and your lips busted with your jaw sore, bruised, possibly broken. I don't know. We don't know how bad they beat them. But they're in the dark at midnight praying and singing. What hymns are they singing? Chris Tomlin. Great, great father. Chris Tomlin. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the Psalms. Dave Crowder. The Gettys. It wasn't the Baptist hymnal, I'm pretty sure. I think you're right. I think it was the Psalms. Maybe it was something like Gregorian chants, you're killing me. The Psalms, I think, would provide pretty good content for any kind of singing in this situation. For example, for Psalm 42. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. That's Psalm 42. How about this one, Psalm 119? At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands, I sing for joy. Maybe they were singing that. Maybe a recent hymn was written in Antioch or Jerusalem that kind of had some of this stuff in it. Um, or maybe it was a new song that they came up with on the spot. We're not given what they sang, but we know they were singing. We know they were singing out of thankfulness to God in spite of being chained to a wall, feet in stocks, and beaten to a pulp. Thankfulness displayed even in these circumstances. How many of us would do that? How many of us would do that? Do you have resources for that? <laughs> I don't. Where Luke describes the gospel at work, he describes joy. How many of us have known that kind of pain where it's hard to catch your breath? Can he be your song in the night? I think we're seeing here that he can be. He promises to be. What else does verse 25 tell us? The prisoners were listening. That's the other side of this, isn't it? Captives are always listening to us. How we respond to trials, to pain, how we handle it, we don't do it in a vacuum. Prisoners are always listening to us. Right? I mean, 
That's why Christ came to set the captives free. And by extension, that's our mission in Him. We're surrounded by captives. They're always listening. Are we displaying for them the joy of Christ in the midst of our pain? Or are we mirroring their frustration, their anger, their anxieties? That's the challenge, isn't it? Do you have resources to be under that kind of scrutiny? I don't. Are we pointing them to the matchless worth of Jesus or are we mirroring their anger, their anxiety, their despair rather than mirroring the confidence of Christ who set his face like flint towards Jerusalem and the cross? So they're sitting there singing, praying, midnight. And the prisoners are listening. We don't know how they, how they knew they were. I mean, they could have been mocking them. I mean, nothing says they were all like halos in the prison doing this. Oh, they're singing. They could have been mocking them. What are you doing, you idiots? You know where you are? You're worse off than we are. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem to be there when you read the whole story. Right. It, it, because all the doors were open, all the chains were broken. Right. There's a sense, too, that they may have been in awe of the response to this. Maybe, maybe they hadn't been beaten and thrown in prison. They knew these guys were. Um, so there's, there's this scrutiny that's going on. What's going on with these guys? How are they responding? So then what happens? What happens next? The earthquake sensors unlocked all the electronic doors. <laughs> <laughs> trying to see where to go with that um, Philippi was known for having intermittent earthquakes I mean that's kind of a, a natural thing that happened in the place but here it's seen as miraculous because it happened at just the right time and you have people who are confident in the stability and unchangeableness of the earth it's what they put their hope in. It's what they put confidence in. And here it's shaken. And God does this thing where the chains that were against the wall, the foundations are shaken. So that it's, it's like the, the idea is that the, the, the chains came loose. So they're now freed from the wall. And the doors open. Um, <clears throat> was it just Paul and Silas' doors that were open? Everybody's open. Right? They're all open. All the bonds came off. God's faithfulness to them in that way not only freed them, not only freed them, let me emphasize them, uh, but also everybody else in the prison. The special grace he showed Paul and Silas resulted in a common grace to the captives around them. That's also instructive to us, isn't it? God's special grace to us in the midst of our pain can bless others in a common way as we seek to get outside of ourselves and serve others in the midst of our own pain. There's common grace that's involved in the midst of special grace of God. So we're faced with the immediate question, what if he hadn't freedom? What if he had not caused the earthquake at that precise time? Would he still be worthy of thanks? 
Now think about, before you answer the question, we answer that one too quickly, I think, sometimes. Would he still be worthy of thanks? Paul and Silas were singing when? Before. Before the quake. They didn't know it was coming. So what does an earthquake impress upon us about what we trust? It testified to those who put their trust in earth and matter that it is weak and unstable. However, though the earth be moved, they need not fear. What rocks our world many times is used by Christ to free us. Jesus said, he quoted this, and it's from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Like we said, that's the commission of Christ when he came. And that's, by extension, our commission still, to be involved in freeing captives. So look at verse 27. When, when, I, when I first read this next section, my immediate thought was in Ephesians 5, where Paul says this, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So let's read verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, and your household, you and your household. Let's stop there. So verse 27 shifts to the jailer. What's he doing? Sleeping. Sleeping, Sleeping in the jail. Is that a good thing for a guy who's been charged with hanging on to prisoners and not letting them escape? Nope. To be sleeping? All right, let's put on his sandals for a minute. What wakes him up? Earthquake. You ever been there? Anybody ever experienced an earthquake? What's the first thing that you think of when there's an earthquake? I mean, I, just kind of think that through. What, what do you, what do you, what's your natural thing? We're going to die. We're going to die. Let's get out of a building, right? Yeah. Jesus, come. Jesus is coming. Let's get out of the building because it's going to fall on me. What's his first thought? So the doors were opening. He was going to kill himself. Why would that? I'm dead and I'm dead dead. Why is he nervous about the doors being open? Because all the prisoners are gone. He just leaves at work. Because the prisoners are gone. What does that matter? Oops! It's an it's an act of God. Literally, an act of God. They're they're going to kill him. They'll kill him. Why? Because Roman law is, if you're responsible for a prisoner and they escape you suffer the fate he would have suffered. And he's got like 30 guys. He gets lots of beating. A lot of range, yeah. A lot, and arms get tired. A lot of range of possibilities of what was going to happen to those guys, and he, all of them come on him. That sword would be looking pretty tempting. 
he's sleeping, perhaps he went to, the, to sleep to the sound of them singing. Maybe it was a very, I don't know if it was a lullaby. So, so Luke records him looking at, at, the, um, at, the, at the doors. What would you expect as a natural consequence of the story? He looks at the doors. What would, what would we expect to see normally in a story like this? Shut the door. Well, maybe. Shut the door. They're all out. They're all out. Paul and, this is the great escape by Paul and Silas. Right? They, they uh, punch out one of the guards, put on prison clothes, and they go out like, you know, whatever. They have the ill-fitting helmet, you know, and they somehow pass for the guard. This is the escape story of Paul and Silas. That's what we expect. But that's not what happens. What does Paul do when he sees this jailer about to kill himself because he's going to face the penalty of losing all these soldiers? Wait a second. He cries out. He shouts. He has compassion on him. Now think about that for a minute. Why would he do that? What's more important? The dishonor done to me or the eternal position of this man with a sword? I mean, this is a guy who put him in, the, he, didn't, he wasn't told to put him in the worst place. He wasn't told to put him in stocks. He just said, hang on to him until the next morning. But he went above and beyond in his duty to them and made it very uncomfortable and very painful Having been beaten, now your legs are in a cramping position within stocks. He did, wouldn't it have been natural to say, well, he deserves this. Let him go ahead and do it. Wouldn't that have been a natural thing? Where's the popcorn? We're, we're going to get our vengeance now. This guy's freaking out. This will be fun. Isn't that the natural thing to do? He yells. He yells to stop him from killing himself. Um, incidentally, all the prisoners are still there. Why didn't they run? I mean, isn't that fascinating? He expects everybody to be gone. We don't know that they're all in stocks. He doesn't say that. But he expects everybody to be gone. So there's clearly they have the ability to leave. Why didn't these prisoners who are not Paul and Silas leave? Matthew Henry says this. I think it's pretty cool. He says, God showed his power in binding their spirits as much as in loosening their feet. What happens if they leave? This guy dies. Why doesn't God want him to die? He's marked already for the atonement of Christ. He's preserving his life even in his rebellious state against Christ. He's protecting him for this divine encounter. It was God's intention, think about that, for Paul and Silas to be beaten, to be put in prison, so that the Philippian jailer meets Jesus. Are we willing, <laughs> we willing to be put in that place? So, what a state, think about that, what a state to be in where a miracle of God causes someone complete despair that they would take their own life. Call, Paul calls to the jailer loudly. He calls to prevent him from taking his life. And again, here we see another example of the church being about preserving life, not ending it. Paul could easily have let him kill himself. He could have felt justified in doing so given the treatment he had received at the hands of the jailer. But despite the wounds, the bruising, the sleep deprivation, 
he saw the bigger picture. Rather bear reproach in the name of Christ than to be avenged for wrong. It's the name of Christ that matters. It's his agenda that matters. So what's the response of this jailer? What does he do? Physically, what is he doing? He falls down at their feet. Is that a prideful position? <laughs> He's very humbled here. His immediate response is one of humility. Because they didn't leave. He owes them his life at this point in his mind. The posture of the jailer... Where there is darkness, he brings the light. Where there is pride, he shows humility by bowing at their feet. And Paul doesn't correct him the way he did the crowds at Lystra who worshipped him as a god. He doesn't stop him from doing it. I, and I don't think it's because Paul was wanting to seem grovel. I think he's allowing him to be grateful for what ultimately is an act of God, of mercy by God. Be grateful to that. I mean, you remember the apostles... People would lay their offering at the, at the apostles' feet in Jerusalem. It's kind of a similar deal. As a representative of God, they would do that. Not, not to Paul specifically, but as a thanks to God. It's also allowing the fear of God to have its proper work on this jailer. He doesn't stop him from trembling. Paul's God had torpedoed the jailer's attempts at prison security. Notice also he calls them sirs. Lords. Sirs. And then he says, what must I do to be saved? Where did this question come from? Their songs. Their songs? Perhaps. Some have thought that. Um, that's the common question throughout the ages, right? Any, any kind of... That's, that's on the heart of everyone, whether you realize it or not. I know God's eternal. I know His power. I know He's judge. And I know that from birth. And I know that if I stand before Him, I'm hosed. That's in the heart of every man. And so that question is there, and it comes out here. He's not talking about what must I do to save my life. All the prisoners are here. There's no retribution that's going to happen on him. He's not going to bear the penalty of them escaping. So that's not what he's asking. He's asking an eternal question. Maybe he heard um, Paul's preaching, or maybe reports of it. It didn't quite understand everything that, that, that was going on there. Um, even so, it's a classic question of every human heart, and Paul's answer is simple and equally classic. What does he say? Believe. Believe what? Believe in Lord Jesus. Which Jesus? The Christ consciousness Jesus of Deepak Chopra? The Lord Jesus. How, how is he going to know who this is? Apparently, fairly easily. I mean, they didn't have email. I mean, we don't, we don't really read it anyway either, but... Um, yeah. Maybe. I don't know that specifically, but that wouldn't surprise me. Notice Paul does not say, notice Paul does not say, repent of how you treated us in the first place. <laughs> right? 
No, it's more important that the jailer come to Jesus than grovel for what he had done in ignorance. And our goal as believers is to seek Christ's honor more than our own. And Paul models that for us here. So we see um, in verse 31, believe. Believe what about him? So look at verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all were, who were in his house. What? And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his, and all his family. Then he brought them up to, into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Where did the house come from? Luke just kind of skips over this detail of the house. Apparently, uh, the jailer kind of gets this feeling that, hey, they're going to say something important. I want my family to hear this. I want my household to hear this. So at some point, Luke doesn't record when, they go to the house, the jailer's house. And he gives them the word of the Lord. This is the content of what to believe. Christ's perfect life, his death, burial, resurrection. That's what he's giving. He's giving the gospel. And he's sharing it with the entire house. Uh, at any rate, Luke makes clear what was implied in the Lydia story. The whole household heard the gospel proclaimed. And notice the context. What's the call here? Believe in the Lord Jesus. They were called to believe propositional truth about Christ, not what they fancied. What is real? What, what is actually true? That's what I'm called to believe. Incidentally, just, just to, to share a little Baptist distinctive here, babies can't do this. There's no proxy faith in view here. There's no the Father say, therefore the house is saved. There's none of that going on here. They all were told propositional truth and they're all called to believe it. Um, verse 34 says that he and his whole household rejoiced that he had believed in God. The implication here is that the whole household believed in God. That's what the, the language calls for. Which, coming from a pagan background, has two levels of believing. One, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Number two, that there's one God. Because he's polytheistic, so it has two levels of believing. And so what's the immediate response of the jailer to hearing the word of the Lord. What does he do? He washes their wounds. Now we've seen several evidences of conversion in Acts. We've seen Pentecost and a Gentile Pentecost, the speaking in tongues, whatever that was. We've seen um, We've seen this expression of joy. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch and others who have expressed joy. Uh, we've seen hospitality, Lydia, in this, in this passage, in this chapter. And we see it here, another facet of hospitality, which is taking care of wounds that he may have ever seen being inflicted. Repentance. It's true repentance, making right what was wrong. And so he takes care of them um, by tending to their wounds. He washes their wounds then they wash him and his family. You see? So, what did the jailer do next after this washing of wounds, after this hospitality, this display of 
change of heart. What did he do next? They were baptized. And then he, he do, you, do you feed your prisoners? At your house? At your table? But you feed your brothers. And that's exactly what, what is in view here. He's feeding brothers in Christ. Uh, incidentally, the text does not indicate that this was a Lord's Supper meal, though some commentators argue that it was. I think that's a bit, a bit reaching here. I mean, I like to try to put my feet in their sandals, but I don't know that we can go there, what type of meal it was. Look at verse 35 through 40. We'll go through this real quickly. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the, mag the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came out and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. <laughs> and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So just real quickly, this section I put in my notes, politicians. In the light of day, what happens? Let them go. What, why do they change their minds here? We don't know. Maybe, maybe some further investigation revealed the source of the complaint initially. Rather than being swept up by the mob, maybe they should have given a second thought about what actually was going on. These guys were innocent after all. Let them go. Um, so they send the, the lictors, the ones who had beaten them with rods, to deliver the news to the jailer. And the jailer was glad. And he responds in that Christian declaration, go in peace. Paul says, not so fast. Why? What's the big deal here? Trying to, what? Hide something. They don't know that they're Roman citizens at this point. Paul lets them know that they're Roman citizens. They were treated as criminals, and now the magistrates are the ones who are clearly criminals. It was illegal to beat and imprison a Roman citizen without a fair trial. The people had to do that, not the magistrates. It had to be like a jury trial. You had to have evidence presented and a, a, an official conviction before putting people in prison. The consequence of not doing that could be death. At the very least, if it were made much of, Rome could take away the, the cushy colony rights that Philippi had. They could remove the magistrates. So there's a lot at stake here for what they had done. Why make an issue out of this? Why would Paul force this? It seems kind of cheeky, doesn't it? I mean, why would you, why would you force this issue? You, you've already seen this great grace fall upon him. Um, and then just in, in closing, what he's doing is he's making a point to the magistrates to protect the local church, this young church that's there. It is of utmost importance for the church to have the, a clean reputation among the leadership in the city. They had done no wrong, and the magistrates knew they had done no wrong. But they wanted the whole city to be told, to be publicly announced, we were wrong in beating these men, they were right. Not so that they would get their kudos, but so that the fledgling church would not be maligned. You were with those criminals. And, does that protect the jailer too? and it protects the jailer too, yeah. I mean, 
It's unclear to me why in the first place he sent police to say let them go before he knew that they were citizens. Yeah. The purpose of that wouldn't have jail anymore. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's that prison break. I guess uh, there, there's no jail to break from. Sure, I mean, or shovels at least to get the job done. But, but I, we don't know why. It, I, I just chalk it up to a movement of the spirit. I, I mean, I, changing the heart there to, to you know, if he if he can move the heart of the king like the water course, he can certainly do a couple of magistrates in Philippi. Their job of being in prison is done because the jailer is Well, maybe, maybe. Um, I don't know if they stopped being a jailer. Oh, yeah, but... But, but maybe they shouldn't have a place to put them. That's actually... It sounds like he was probably a high up... Like, I assume that or speculate because he called for lights. That means he has other people under him. He has people under him, yeah. They were actually there serving him and helping do that. Maybe, maybe. And it may be that word got back that the, they didn't leave when they could have and that was the magistrate's view. Oh, we'll just let them go then. That was, you know... Who, we don't know. We're not told. There's a lot of speculation there. But nevertheless... Having them come and publicly acknowledge that they had wrongfully beat them was not so that Paul could be vindictive. It was to make a statement to the city about this fledgling church. They're innocent. You, can't, you need to think twice before bringing any charges against them. I think that's what's going on there. Um, additionally, it put a check on the leaders that they may not be, as Calvin says, so bold as to rage so freely against the good and innocent brethren. Is, way he put it. So he tells them to leave. Do they leave? No, they go talk to Lydia. They slow train it, don't they? They just, we'll, we'll leave. But they go to Lydia's. Incidentally, they go to Lydia's, who had initially showed them hospitality. And apparently the house church is there. And they are received and they encourage the brothers. And then they leave town and they head to Thessalonica. And that's where we'll pick up next time. Just 15 after, no problem. Hmm. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit to record these things for us, that we might be encouraged and challenged, that we might make much of Jesus at any cost. I pray that you prepare our hearts for that, that we would be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the conversion of captives. Be with us as we go to the next service. I pray that Christ be magnified, that we would worship Him in heart and in mind and with all our strength, and that we would rejoice doing it among our brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregation of the righteous, not a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that's given to us freely by Your Son, our King, our risen Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen.